Good evening. It is such a blessing to see all of you here tonight. So thankful that you have made the effort to be here. You could have been anywhere tonight. You chose to be here because of your love for God and for His Word and for His people. And that encourages not only me, but everyone else who is here. So thank you for your presence tonight. So thankful for those who might be viewing online. And thankful for our visitors who've come far and wide to be here this evening. I especially am very, very grateful for Scott and Jenny Harp and Mike and Emily Gifford who have come. Uh, Mike and Emily Gifford from Georgia. They get the award for who came from farthest away. Uh, they're actually on their way to Illinois, so this was a great stop for them. And I appreciate them being here tonight to encourage me and encourage all of us as we worship together. As Hiram mentioned, we have been focusing on the theme of today is the day from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. We talked about the power of what each day can do in a human life and certainly what God has done in those 24-hour increments of time and how He has blessed and changed our lives in the monumental days that have come and gone for each one of us. We talked yesterday about the day when man fell in Genesis chapter 3 and about the day when evil began to grow and, and, and almost seemed to multiply exponentially in the world because it is a linear process. We talked about also the accountability that we have before God and also the redemption that was found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 as it was first announced. And so tonight we want to look at another monumental day. And that is the day that a place of refuge was established. That word, actually there's more than one word that's translated in the English as refuge. But the word literally means high place, a secure retreat, a stronghold. Somewhere that we may flee for protection and other things that we will talk about tonight that are so essential in the Christian life. I want us to share, first of all, before we look at a, at a map and a chart in just a second, I want us to share Psalm 46 together. If you would turn there with me, and we will read the first seven verses by way of introduction. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its, its swelling, there is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I cannot possibly count the number of times in 42 years of ministry that I have shared that passage of Scripture at funerals. When those who are troubled and burdened with grief and sorrow need a refuge, a place to flee for comfort and reassurance and safety. And truly, God in every circumstance of life for His children, God indeed is our refuge. 
And when Noah thought about that, of course, he would think about the ark that he was commanded to build, not as a tourist attraction right up the road, but as a vessel of the preservation of life, a a vessel to protect and to guard he and his family from the destruction that went on all around them. And then when the Jew thought of the term refuge, he or she would think of those six cities that God ordained Three on the west side of the Jordan River and three on the east side. Kedish, Shechem, and Hebron, Golan, Ramoth, and Basar. How beautiful these words, these names of these cities are because they each one have a significance. They each one mean something. Kedesh means to consecrate. Shechem means shoulders, and the image there from Luke 15 and verse 5 is that when a shepherd goes out and finds a lost sheep, he puts that sheep on his shoulders and brings him home. The idea of fellowship and rejoicing and being exalted and fortified. God had in mind certain things when he ordained that man, that the Jews would build these six cities of refuge that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But before we do, just an aside as we make an application in our contemporary world. Tonight, not only our country, but countries throughout the world are looking for refuge. A place to flee safety and security. And not necessarily from sin, but rather from a virus. And from its variant that is raging again in our schools and communities, and I'm told in the state of Kentucky, that is the case. Those who are fleeing for a refuge are fleeing behind masks, behind a vaccine, behind a booster and and an antibody shot, and, and behind the logistics of social distancing. And in some ways, these things are are causing and impact, having their impact on the church. And we'll talk about that more as we go through the course of this lesson. If there were a piece of land tonight anywhere in the world, for those who sell real estate, if there were a piece of land tonight where someone could say, we can guarantee that COVID-19 and Variant D are not here and they are not coming and they never will be here. Friends, you would see every plane, every jet, every possible means of transportation load up and folks would be going there faster than you could count them. And even if we went, those realtors would be charging more for the land than we could afford. And there would be such overcrowding, it would be beyond the imagination. There was a day when a place of refuge was established. And that day was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It is called the Ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ. And on that day, God established a place of spiritual refuge. Not a, a teva, an ark that would protect one from the physical elements so much, but yes, that'll come to bear as we talked about yesterday, but a spiritual haven where the protection and and refuge of God could be offered. Proverbs 29 and verse 25, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. 
As Jesus talked about the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke 17, we begin reading in verse 26. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Why could Noah or how could Noah escape that destruction? Because of his place of refuge. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, a need to tell Lot to to run for the mountains. And his wife was so tied evidently back to whatever it was in Sodom that, that was so fascinating and drawing to her that she turned back and defied the orders that they were given and, of course, turned to a pillar of salt. Tonight we want to look at a type, an antitype kind of situation where we talk about those six cities of refuge and compare them to the church, to the body of Christ. And so I want us to do that by by doing two things, first of all, and that is by reading together Joshua chapter 20 and then an excerpt from Numbers 35. So if you would turn with me to Joshua chapter 20, as we make the first point about this city of refuge called Ecclesia. And that is, in the body of Christ, in this place of refuge, there is no condemnation. Let's read Joshua 20, beginning in verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take them into the city as one of them. And give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, They shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and to his own house to the city from which he he fled. And so they appointed these cities as we read from verses 7 and 8. And then verse 9, These were the cities appointed for the children of Israel, for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. And now let's turn back together to Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35 and read there. And then come come back and make the first two points of emphasis for tonight. Numbers 35, we begin reading in verse 15. These six cities, the ones that are outlined beginning in verse 9, these six cities, verse 15, shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. And then he covers through the next verses those who would kill someone intentionally, and that's not open for them to go to the city of refuge and to receive the same blessing. But then you go to verse 22. 
However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without lying in wait or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation will deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city or refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Number one, in the city of refuge known as the Ecclesia, just as it was in these six cities, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When we are members of the Lord's body and we transgress the will of God and we receive the washing, the continual cleansing, 1 John chapter 1 of the blood of Christ, there's no condemnation. We've passed from death unto life as John said. We are then freed from the curse of the law and from the curse of separation from God because of the blood of Christ, because of that redemption price that was paid for us. And so when we think of the church, we think of folks who have come out of sin and into Christ, and because of that, there is, again, no condemnation, just as there was In these six cities, someone who came and fled there for refuge would stand before the elders of the land and have his case heard. He would be treated fairly in terms of the evaluation or assessment of his innocence. And when someone comes into the body of Christ through obeying the gospel and the Lord adds that person to the church, their sins are washed away. They have no past in the eyes of God, for He has remembered their sins and iniquities no more. And then when those times come when that person transgresses the will of God, doesn't mean to or transgresses and receives forgiveness from God because of their life in Christ, they do not become a relic that is unusable. There is still no condemnation if there is repentance and confession to God and an appeal to Him for His forgiveness. One of the most glaring examples of that was the Apostle Peter, who over and over again pledged to Christ, I'll go to prison and to death with you. I'll never deny you. Though everyone else may deny you, I will not deny you. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, the Lord has an exchange with him that's interesting. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, some versions translate that, demanded to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Look at this. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. There is life after sin for the Christian. 
And we may look at someone who is a child of God and we may not be able to understand how they could fall into a particular temptation because that's not our area of weakness. But just because they did and just because they transgressed, if they are penitent of that and they do what God tells them to do to make that right in His sight, they are not an unusable relic that we throw on the trash heap of the Lord's body. There is no condemnation to that person, again, because of the blood of Christ. Paul, in writing to Titus, had left him in a place that was a pretty tough ground for growing the church and also for writing what had been wrong, for, for making straight that which had been crooked, as he told him to do. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, Paul tells Titus why this is valuable, why it is important, and, and why it is, it is absolutely something that every Christian should consider. Paul said to Titus, Titus, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness we, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, Titus, at one time, we were like this bunch of Cretans. We were just as wrong in our own way as they are in theirs. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, let's read those first seven verses together. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 through verse 7. And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, what a wonderful conjunction. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places, which is the church, the city of our spiritual refuge in Christ Jesus. You see, sin levels the playing field. Romans 3.23 No one in the church has any right to walk around with their spiritual nose in the air in regard to someone who has committed some sin that they deem to be more heinous than they themselves has committed, have committed. Sin, again, levels the playing field. And when someone has been guilty of transgressing the will of God, and they repent of that, if they've been a faithful Christian in the past, and they repent of that, and they come back to Christ, and they are restored, then they are as qualified as they were before to be profitable to God, and to serve Him, just as Peter was told by our Lord, when you've returned to me, you strengthen your breath. This, this man had denied the Lord. Denied Him more than once. Stepped aside from the commitment that He made in becoming an apostle. Did so with cursing at one point in time. 
And yet he was the one who preached the first gospel sermon on this day when this place of refuge was established. You see, obedience is where the broken, it's where the sinful contact the blood of Christ. Where the sinful contacts the mercy of God. And that sin is washed away and they become useful again. So that there is no condemnation for them in this city of refuge. What a wonderful thing it was to sit in an examination room in Kennestone Hospital. After a year of standing by, a precious wife of almost 43 years. After having seen the ravages of chemotherapy and radiation and separation and isolation and quarantine from everyone else because of the immune system and how low it was and at least two surgeries to sit in that room and hear that oncologist say, Mrs. Decker, your body is now cancer-free. In other words, there's no more condemnation in your flesh from this disease that you've suffered so at the hands of. In the city of refuge known as the Ecclesia, there is no condemnation. But number two, there is protection. There is protection. We've already read from Numbers 35. When this person who was guilty of unintentional killing of someone... When, when that person went to the city of refuge, as long as he stayed in that city of refuge, the avenger could not touch him. If he went out, then he put his life in his own hands. But as long as he stayed within the protection of that city, then he received the safety and the security that was offered, not, not by his own merit, but because of the grace of God who ordered and dictated that these cities would be established. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He says a number of things in that opening, but one of the things he says, I'm the door of the sheep. In other words, if these sheep are part of my flock and they are in, they are in the pen, they, they are, they are in this sheepfold that I have, he said, then I am the door. And when the wolf comes, Jesus says, I'm not like the hireling. For the hireling flees and does not care about the sheep because he is not the shepherd. He's a counterfeit element of protection for the sheep. He leaves them. But the good shepherd, Jesus says, gives his life. He says, I lay down my life. And part of that is his protection. His protection of the flock. And then in a modern sense, we are given elders, shepherds. Those who would oversee the body of Christ. And as Paul talked to those Ephesian elders on the island of Miletus in Acts chapter 20, listen to his words in verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, Paul says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He is charging these elders. You protect the flock. The city of refuge demands that you as the overseer stands in the way of danger. It demands that you put your life on the line like the good shepherd if necessary. And you stand and you protect this flock that you've been given charge of. 
And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13 and verse 17 that we're to obey those who have the rule over us and be submissive, for they watch out for our souls. You want to talk about an activity that will keep you up at night? That will turn your hair gray? That will fill your stomach with all kind of ulcers and other things that you didn't have before you put your hand to that plow? It is being the shepherd of a flock. 2021. It was that same way in the first century. But, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. In the city of refuge, known as the Ecclesia, the sheep feel protected. They feel safe. They feel cared for. Jesus said about the good shepherd, I know my sheep. They know my voice. They follow me. I I know them by name. I know their identity. I have an intimacy with them. And they trust me. They'll follow me because they know I mean them no harm. In the city of refuge known as the Ecclesia, the sheep trust their shepherds, their elders. They know that these men love their souls and love them individually. The sheep feel content. They can flourish and and bring forth fruit in their service to God because they're not afraid of something happening to the church because the elders will stand. The shepherds will stand and if necessary, again, give their lives. They watch out for the souls of the city of refuge and its inhabitants. Again, there are some tonight who are hiding behind a vaccine and a mask and, and other things. My friends, COVID-19 is not the most dangerous thing the church faces tonight. The most dangerous opportunity that we face is to step outside the city of refuge and put ourselves in the path of our adversary who is seeking to devour us, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. God in His wisdom has mandated that we stay put Because in the church, Satan is not given free reign. Paul told the church at Ephesus, nor give place to the devil. There is a zero tolerance, or there should be in the church, for those who would cause division. For those who would teach false doctrine and become troublemakers of those in the city of refuge and in that flock. There should be a zero tolerance on the part of the elders and others for backbiting and tailbearing and gossip and other kinds of things that, that threaten the security and safety and, and the well-being of the flock of God. COVID-19 may have its day, and it is, as we talked about sin yesterday. And it may have its day in the church. But let me say to you tonight, God forbid that sin and disobedience has its day. Tonight you have brethren in Woodstock, Georgia, as well as other places, who have recently stood against sin in their congregational situation of the city of refuge. A young lady certainly or suddenly announced that she had come out of the closet and had become a lesbian and was living with her lesbian lover, and, and, and she was defying the church to do something. And they worked with her for over a year and finally they said, we're, we're going to finally tell the church. We're going to do what Paul told the church in Corinth to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to exercise church discipline. We don't want to do this. 
We don't, we don't want to have a situation where we withdraw fellowship from you, but we will not allow the reputation of the church or the protection of the flock to be compromised by your open rebellion and sin. And there was a whole lot of things on the news about it. One of the elders lost his job because of it. His company fired him after 32 years because they read it on social media that somehow they had been unkind and unloving to this person who was flaunting their immorality, not just before the congregation, but before the entire community that we live in in Atlanta, Georgia, through our local news. The ecclesia, the church, the city of refuge, offers protection. Number three, there's fellowship. Fellowship, that's also a blessing in being a part of the city of refuge known as the Ecclesia. When this manslayer would go to the cities of refuge and find himself there, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 20 and verse 4 that they would bring him in and make him one of them. When a person obeys the gospel, God adds that person to his family. When he's born of the water and of the Spirit, John 3, 1 to 10, the Lord adds him to the church. He's not voted in. We don't have a convocation and try to decide if this person is deserving of coming into the church. They become a part of our fellowship as the body of Christ, as the brotherhood of our Lord. And we are told, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion is light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Our fellowship is with those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have their sins washed away. And they're a part of this city of refuge that we also are a part of. And Jesus tells us in John 13.34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And by this that all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. In John 17, Jesus prayed for the unity of the city of refuge known as the Ecclesia. He prayed for His body. And He prayed that they might be one just as He and His Father were one because He understood He anticipated. He foresaw that there would be opportunities for that flock to be divided. For that flock not to be in fellowship because again of the teaching of false doctrine and the living of immorality and ungodliness before each other. Brethren, we are beloved not only of God, but if we are members of the city of refuge, if we're citizens of the city of refuge known as the ecclesia, then we're beloved of each other. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4. And Paul puts it so beautifully in Ephesians 2.19. He says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers. Strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God. We're not just guests. We belong. We've been added to the body. We, We have been given the opportunity as... Sons to receive adoption or adoption as sons. We're not just casual friends or acquaintances. Sometimes I hear folks talk about others in the church they know and they say, oh, they're our church friends. I understand what they mean, but it goes so much deeper than that. Sometimes we call one another brother and sister and it becomes little more than an empty title. It's far more than that. We have fellowship with God if we walk 
in obedience to Christ and His will, but we also have fellowship with one another. We are part of each other. And we have fellowship with David, the forgiven adulterer. And Paul, the forgiven persecutor. And the thief on the cross who was forgiven by Jesus. And Moses, the excuse maker who was forgiven by God. And Rahab, the harlot. And because this world can become and, and is in so many cases such a cold and indifferent and surface kind of distant kind of place, especially now again with this insidious virus. It is incumbent upon us to love one another, to be one with each other, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, to look out for one another and care for one another and pray for one another and hurt for one another and rejoice for one another and all the things the Bible tells us to do in the New Testament for each other as members of the household of God. And brethren, sometimes we get a D-minus in some of those things. I know a young lady tonight who has left the church after growing up in it for all of her life till she turned about 20 or 21, maybe 22, when she married someone who was a part of a denomination. He was actually a denominational, quote-unquote, pastor. So many of us talked to her and said, you know, you're going to have problems. There's going to be issues here. And she said, no, it doesn't matter because when I go over there, they love me. When I go over there, they accept me, they hug me, they know all about me, they care about me. And she said, I can walk down the aisles of congregations where I have been in churches of Christ as I've been growing up, and I've grown up in it all of my life, and I walk past people who have known me since I was a little girl, and they won't even speak to me. May God forbid that our Lord lays the charge to any one of us that we have been so cold and distant and indifferent from our brethren that we have made them feel that they have to leave the city of refuge to find love and closeness and caring and genuine compassion and more than just a surface, hey, how you doing? Let's go home together. Brethren, the city of refuge is for the brethren of Christ, the children of God, for those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And we have fellowship with one another and, and we love and cherish being together. And that's one of the things that the pandemic, some of us had expressed in con, con, uh, conversing with one another about it. We had hoped that's one of the things that would come of this is that when it would be finally over and the church could come back together again and have a sense of safety and security in doing so, that we would have longed to have been together and have missed it so much that we would have hungered for it and came back together in mass. Because every one of these pews tonight, brethren, needs to be filled. There are so many here who are not here who need to be here. Not just tonight, but as a vibrant part of the congregation where they find themselves, whether it's at Lehman or some other place. Because that was one of the blessings of the cities of refuge. And it still is. Fourthly and finally tonight, one of the blessings... It's talked about in the Talmud. To the cities of refuge was access. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And let's begin reading in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made both one and has broken, broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the Christ cross, rather thereby putting to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. It's said in the Talmud that with the, the cities of refuge, that the roads were extraordinarily wide. 32 cubits, if you figure it out in modern terms, that's 52 and a half feet. That's far wider than any of the streets we'll travel home on tonight. Fifty-two and a half feet. They were cleared annually. They were repaired annually. There were signs at intersections saying, Refuge! Refuge! Pointing the person who needed to go to the city of refuge. This is the way! Even over the bridges that may have become an impediment, those roads were maintained so that the one who would need to go to that city could absolutely find it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18 and verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the, the righteous run to it and are safe. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11 and verse 28? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The wife has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. Then in chapter 22, verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Just as that manslayer had a place of habitation, he had more than adequate access, more than adequate opportunity to get there and stay there until the death of the high priest who became his propitiation and his cleansing of the sin that he had committed and the killing that he was guilty of. Pentecost was the day, the day that the place of refuge was established that we now know as the body of Christ. And Calvary was when the mortgage was paid. Friends, tonight a mask will not protect you from sin. A social distance and a vaccine and a booster will not spare you if you are disobedient to God. There's a city of refuge tonight. It's called the household of God, the body of Christ. The city that's set on a hill. That precious, precious household and kingdom of our Lord. And the access to it is always open 24-7. No one can say, you have blocked my way into the church. You have impeded me from becoming a member of the church. You have become a stumbling block to me in, in becoming a member of the church or finding this city of refuge, unless in truth that's what we have done through our own sinful behavior. I've mentioned once or twice my 
granddaughter who lives down in Warner Robins, Georgia, with her parents. I fail at most things, but one of the things I do, I hope very well, and one of the things I know I enjoy doing is being a pawpaw. Man, I love it. There's no love like grandbaby love. On Friday nights, her family, her mom and dad, they have what they call family fun night. And they always ask her, Nora, where do you want to go? And the answer is always the same. I don't know if you know what I'm about to say or you know about this establishment. She wants to go to a place called Bucky's. You know about Bucky's? World largest, world's largest convenience store out of Texas. Starting to be planted all over the southeast. Some of those places have 250 gas pumps. Why in the world do you need that many gas pumps? Some of those places have five and six and seven different entrances. And you can go in just about any way you want to. And man, when you get in there, there is always a crowd. And if you're my granddaughter, there's always a good time at Bucky's. The city of refuge tonight is open. Christ has